seated this morning. How's everybody doing this morning? You guys are the healthy ones? Yes? The healthy ones, the few healthy ones out there. We're glad that you're with us this morning. Hey, there's a typo in the bulletin. Uh, Daniel's next week. So today, what I need you to do is I need you to go back to 2 Kings chapter 18. We covered this last week, but we're going to rehash it a little bit, and then we're going to go forward. Uh, We are in week 17 of the story, 31 weeks through your Bible. And uh, right now, we have been stuck in 2 Kings for a little bit of time. And uh, today, we're going to take a look at the fall of Judah. Uh, Judah, the southern tribes... Uh, Israel, the northern tribes, we were this last week, they got captured into Assyria. Assyria came down and took hold of Israel and uh, exiled them off. This week, Judah, the southern tribes, are going to have a similar fate as them. And so I want to cover that this morning. But let's pray as we dive in this morning. So, Father, we come to you. We thank you so much for all that you are. Thank you so much for what you have done. I pray that, Father, in the next few moments, you might speak into every heart and every mind, that, Father, you would draw us into who you are. Jesus, we thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for your presence. Thank you, Spirit, for being in us. Uh, I just pray that, uh, Spirit, you would uh, really stir our affections for Jesus this morning as we even take a look at the Old Testament, which I know a lot of times we think has nothing to do with Jesus, but it has everything to do with Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. It's been an exciting week for us in the LaGrange household uh, because of seventh grade basketball. Thrilling times in middle school. But this week has been an exciting time. We hit tournament play. Uh, we won last Saturday and got a matchup with Felicity, the two seed. We were the three seed. Monday night was a physical war that we came out of with victory But what laid in front of us on Wednesday night was the championship game against the number one seed, New Richmond. And New Richmond posed a huge threat to us because they have beaten us twice this year, one by 19 points, the other by 18 points. And so for us, we were thinking, how much of a shot do we really have? But I was out on the court as pregame happened, and the music was going, and they were playing some unbelievable 80s and 90s music, so Chris was in heaven. I was just singing along with it, and it was some good stuff, and I was looking at our boys, and I thought, you know what? Tonight's the night. Why not tonight be the night that we take down the giant number one New Richmond? We've lost to them twice already this year, but hey, who knows? And so we get into the locker room for pregame speech, and our coach does his thing, and then he looks over at me and says, you got anything to add? And I said, why not tonight, boys? Tonight's the night. Let's go take down the giant tonight. Everybody, yeah, 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 let's take down the giant. We all huddled together. We said defense on three. We walked out on the court as the underdog, and we began to play. And my dreams were dashed pretty quickly. We were down 15 to 1 four minutes into the game. I'm thinking, doggone, this is not the night. But our boys began to get a little energy, and by the third quarter, we're down five. And all of a sudden, I'm starting to think, this could be the night. This could be it. And then some little twerp hit a three-pointer that just absolutely crushed us. We ended up losing by 11 As we sat on the bench and as New Richmond got their trophy and their t-shirts, our coach said, boys, look to the other end. 
this is us next year. And their team was up on the ladder cutting the net down. And one of the boys says, guys, that's us next year. You know what you call that? A longing for redemption. We got into the locker room after the game to get ready to go home, and our coach goes into the postseason speech to the boys. Because boys, good season, but next year we get them. He goes, so here's the game plan. 50 push-ups every day. 50. And he goes, boys, when you go down, and you come up, you go down, and you come up and you say, one new Richmond. Two new Richmond. Three new Richmond. I'm over there giggling because I'm like, these boys aren't going to do that. But I got here on his voice, you know what our coach wanted? He wanted redemption. He wanted to take down the giant next year. And it got me thinking as we dive into this storyline, there is a common theme throughout all of life. We all want redemption. We all want it. And so this morning, what I want to do, where I was led this week as I studied, I really felt like we need to go back to the main storyline of the Bible. And I talked about this a few months ago. I don't know if you remember this, but we're going to put it up on the screen. There is a common theme and storyline throughout all of Scripture. It goes like this. Creation, and then fall, and then redemption, and on to restoration. There is a common storyline going throughout all of Scripture. And guess what? There is a common storyline throughout your life. You are somewhere in this picture even this morning. Maybe you are in a time of creation where God is doing something new. Maybe you're in a time of the fall where things have collapsed. Maybe you're in a time where redemption is coming your way. And maybe right now you are on cloud nine and it feels like restoration is inside of your bones. But we're going to take a look at this this morning. I want you to think about some of these storylines. How about marriage? Marriage started off in bliss. Then you had an argument, the fall. You longed to make up, and guys, you said, yes, dear, I am sorry. Redemption. And then there is some peace and bliss in the house. And then day two happens. And the same cycle continues on and on in your marriage. Students, how about school? You studied hard for the test because everybody in here studies hard for tests, right, students? Yes? You go to take the test. You don't do as well as you were hoping to do. You fell. But you longed to improve your grade and you study hard the next time. And the next time you improve your grade and you feel a sense of peace, of restoration, that your grade is coming back up on the men's. Sports fans, it's spring training time. And everybody's a Reds fan in here. Last year you watched them trade for Yasuel Puig from my Dodgers you are all ecstatic. Thank you, by the way, for the trade. We're doing great with it. You all stink with it. But they were 
looking like there was some promise, only for the season to do what? It crashed and burned again. Yet this off-season, there is a new sense of hope. Why? Because you made some more signings and trades, and everybody's looking forward to Red's training camp as it opens, and your hope is what? A playoff team is coming for the Reds. It is a common pattern throughout all of our lives, and this morning we're going to see it with the nation or the tribes of Judah. This pattern, this storyline is taking place. So let's go 2 Kings chapter 18. Let's revisit where we were last week a little bit, and we're going to take a look at the first part of creation. Let me give you the rundown of verses 1 through 4. King Hezekiah is named king over Judah. He is a phenomenal king. He did right in the eyes of the Lord. And then he does this. He removes all the high places, all the places where the Israelites were worshiping false pagan gods. He tears them down. Verse 5 says this. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. He held fast to the Lord and did not stop following him. He kept the commands the Lord had given Moses, and the Lord was with him, and he was successful in whatever he undertook. And he rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. From watchtower to fortified city, he defeated the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory. Israel's been overtaken by Assyria. But King Hezekiah rises up in the tribes of Judah. And he is going to stand against Assyria. He is going to wage war with them. He is going to make sure that the nation of Judah does not follow in the same steps as Israel. And so God gives Hezekiah success in all that he does. But notice that he trusted in the Lord, and he did what the Lord wanted him to do. King Hezekiah was setting a new way for the nation of Judah. And Judah is recreated in a way. In a sense, they are recreated in this moment. That now they are a nation that is pursuing the God who loves them, who is in covenant with them. And so Hezekiah has led Judah into a beautiful place with God. I heard it this way in a little devotional that few of us are doing. The writer says you are either, one of two things, you are either a thermometer or you're a thermostat. That caught my attention. I'm either a thermometer or a thermostat. A thermometer reads the temperature and says and complains all the time it's too cold in here. There's people in here, you're a grumbler, you're a complainer all the time. You're a thermometer. But then he said this, some of us are thermostats. Thermostats turn up the heat. Thermostats do things differently. They don't wait for others to turn up the heat. They go turn up the heat themselves. You know how they do that? He writes, they are thankful people who continuously give praise and honor to God, and it raises the temperature up in the room. King Hezekiah was a thermostat. While the nation was going away from God, Hezekiah rises up and he says, no more. 
and he begins to trust God and obey God, and he turns the temperature up inside of the nation of Judah. What are you this morning? Are you a thermometer or a thermostat? How about in your marriage? Are you a grumbler against your spouse? Or are you someone who's going to love him or her to the place that the temperature rises inside of the relationship? In the church, amongst us, are you a thermometer who's constantly grumbling and complaining that you don't like this, you don't like that? Or are you a thermostat and says, I will heat this place up? What are you? King Hezekiah turned the temperature up in the nation of Judah. He believed God was doing something new. Let me ask you a question. How many of you want God to do something new inside of you in 2020? Anybody want God to do something new? Something fresh? Something that begins to happen inside of you? How many of you want that in the church? Anybody want that in the church? I want God to do something new inside of us. How about in our community? Anybody want to see this community turned upside down? Like God does something crazy inside of this community. Can I give you a, just an idea? Why are you waiting on everybody else when it starts with you? Seriously. I'll be honest with you, I don't think we really believe that God is going to do something in this community because here's what I've come to realize. None of us has started turning up the temperature around here. If you really believe, you put it into action, faith requires action, and so we will turn up the temperature around us. And Hezekiah is going to turn up the temperature, and God is going to do something new in the nation of Judah. Do you all realize that God is in the new creations? Read the storyline of the Bible. Over and over and over again, God is doing something new, and there are new creations going all over the place. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. It says, you are a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, but the new has come. If you're a follower of Jesus, there was a time when God did what to you? He recreated you. He gave you a new birth. And God over and over and over again says, I want to do something new inside of you. I was thinking about that this week with Valentine's Day. Do you realize that God wants every day to be Valentine's Day? Okay, let's just just shoot straight. Social media, okay, I'm probably the one that didn't do this, but I noticed a lot of you in the room did the old puppy love thing with your spouse or your loved one on social media, and then everybody was like hearts and droopy, smoochy spaces and all that stuff, and I giggled about it, but at the same point, I'm like, why isn't every day Valentine's Day? Why do we take one day a year to make love like central focus? In your marriage, why is not every day Valentine's Day? Why don't we turn the temperature up in our marriages every day? Why do we wait for one day a year to turn up the temperature? Some of you are like, oh man, i got to sustain this. Are you serious? What if God was doing something new in your relationship with him? What if God said, draw near to me and I will draw near to you? Would you draw near to him? 
Would you turn up the temperature with your relationship with Jesus? For some of you who are cold, you are lukewarm, and Jesus has something to say about that in the book of Revelation. He says, I want you hot. I want our relationship to be smoking hot, where there is a level in the room that the temperature is increasing. And God wants to do that in your life this morning. The question is this, will you run to him, or are you going to run away from him? Hezekiah, he chooses to run toward God. He chooses to restore the nation of Judah. He he begins by what? Getting on his face and pleading with God to give him the faith to obey and to trust him. I think for some of us, we've got to get on our faces. When's the last time you've been on your face before God begging and pleading for him? God wants to do a new thing. He loves new creation. He loves to do the new thing, creation. But then we read the nation of Judah, the fall is about to happen. Flip over with me to 2 Kings 21. 2 Kings 21. Starting in verse 1. Manasseh was just hitting puberty. Anybody catch that? How old is he? (laughs) 12? What were you doing at the age of 12? He's about to run a nation. 12 years old. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem 55 years. His mother's name was Hephzibah. Ziba, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Following the detestable practices of the nations, the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. He built the high places his father Hezekiah had destroyed. He also erected altars to Baal and made an Asherah pole, as Ahab king of Israel had done. And he bowed down to all the starry hosts and worshipped them. He built altars in the temple of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem I will put my name. In the two courts of the temple of the Lord, he built altars to all the starry hosts. And he sacrificed his own son in the fire. Anybody catching why God hated all these other nations yet? Anybody see it? Practiced divination. Sought omens and consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, arousing the Lord's anger. Go to verse 12. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I'm going to bring such disaster on Jerusalem and Judah that the ears of everyone who hears of it will tingle. I will stretch out over Jerusalem the measuring line against, used against Samaria and the plumb line used against the house of Ahab. I will wipe out Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. I will forsake the remnant of my inheritance and will give them into the hands of enemies. They will be looted and plundered by all their enemies. 
They have done evil in my eyes and have aroused my anger from the day their ancestors came up out of Egypt until this day. The fall is happening. Do you see it? Underneath Hezekiah's leadership, Judah is doing well. But his son Manasseh takes over at the age of 12 and he does what to the nation of Judah? He does everything opposite of his dad Hezekiah. He restores all the high places of pagan worship. He takes his own son and does what? Slaughters him. Trying to arouse all the foreign gods because that's what you did. And so he arouses the Lord's anger in the midst of his reign. The fall is happening. And what ultimately happens? God is going to raise up another nation not Assyria, to take over the tribe of Judah, to take over Jerusalem, to take over the temple of the Lord. Their names? The Babylonians. They had become a mighty empire, and God sent for and put it on the king of Babylon's heart to come in and do what? Begin to take over Judah and Jerusalem. And it's going to take them a couple years to fully take over Jerusalem and Judah, but they will be on their way, and they're going to take the people, and they're going to take the young, they're going to take the old, and they're going to take them far away, hundreds of miles away from home into exile. And in 586 BC, you can look it up in history, it's just not in the Bible. This is history. Judah was taken away to Babylon, and in that day, there is no hope, there is only gloom. And everything seems lost in that moment. The fall is happening. If we're honest in the room this morning, this is where some of you are. You are in the midst of collapse. You got the diagnosis from the doctor, it does not look good. Your marriage is on the rocks, if not already destroyed. Your child has run off and is addicted to painkillers, is living wild. For some of you, it's your job. It is a complete, utter mess. The pink slip is coming. And you look at life right now, and there seems to be no hope. There is only gloom. You are beginning depression. This is where Judah is. This is why I love the Bible. It really describes where a lot of us are in life. And you've walked into the room this morning and you are begging and pleading for hope this morning. You're hoping that maybe the pastor will give you one little secret to getting out of the depression. One little secret that will get you back on the path of hope. So we've walked in and we are like, this is where we are in the storyline. We are at a place of the fall. We are at the place of gloom. For some of you, let's just be real in the room. It's over sin that you've committed. I was, in my devotional time right now, I'm going through 1 Corinthians. And 1 Corinthians 11 is a scary chapter to me. As I walk through 1 Corinthians 11, you can walk through it this week, it talks about taking communion as a church. And the Apostle Paul is writing to their church in Corinth, and they're telling them that when they take communion, 
there are divisions amongst them inside the church. He tells them that the rich are oppressing the poor. The rich are getting drunk while they take the meal. So they would take a meal together in a home, and then they would take communion as part of that. And he says, some of you are getting drunk on wine while you're taking communion. While the poor have nothing to eat, and you won't offer them any food. And then he says this, to take communion in a worthy manner, in the right manner. Prepare yourself. Don't do it haphazardly. Don't just grab the cup, grab grab the cup and grab the bread and just take it flippantly. He says this, some of you are weak, some of you are sick, and listen to this, he says some of you are dying because you are taking communion in an unworthy manner. That woke me up. And I was thinking about that. How many of us are going through depression and through some of this stuff because of our own sin? David said it this way in Psalm 34, my bones are wasting away because I have anguish inside of me because of my own sin. Some of you are there. This is where Judah is getting. Their sin has overtaken them. They have, re- they have put back up all the paganness of the nation before Hezekiah came in. And now because of sin, guess what happens? Their bones are wasting away. I told you this a couple weeks ago, God takes sin very seriously. He put his son on a tree. And for some of us, we're experiencing that because we don't take sin very seriously. We're flipping about it. And for some of you, the fall has happened because of your own sin. For some of you, the fall has happened because of somebody else's sin. And the reality is somebody else near you has sinned. And guess what sin always does? It always affects the people around us. You think it's just about you because that's our our ways. We think everything's about us. It's about us. It's about us. And what you don't realize is God has created this whole way that everything is about everyone. And for some of us this morning, we are affected because of the people around us. And the sin of others has brought humiliation in our lives. It's brought shame on our lives. It's brought pain on our lives. And right now, honestly, it feels desolate. It feels like there's no hope. As I've thought about this, guys, I've been through these seasons. Anybody else hate this season? Man, I'm like, Lord, I, I just want, I want joy all the time. I'm probably the romantic, though. I think it's like a fairy tale ending all the time, and yet the reality is life is broken, is it not? Look around us. This morning I noticed my Google News thing popped up, and I began to read article after article about the virus going around, about people dying. I just had another again this week. I just told the praise me before him. I've got a youth group, former youth group kid, I told you about her. She had brain surgery a week ago. First surgery went well, but they had to do a second surgery. I haven't heard word on the second surgery. A few days later, I get another text about one of my other former youth group kids got in a head-on collision. She was in the passenger seat. The the driver next to her was killed in a head-on collision. She is in ICU in Indianapolis. 
fighting for her life. And I look around and I'm like, Lord, this place is broken. It's broken. And you had no desire when you created Adam and Eve for this place to be broken. But the reality is sin brought brokenness. And I will contend with the artist Pink until I'm blue in the face when she wrote, we're not, we're not broken, we're just a little bent. I'm like, honey, we are not bent, we are broken. Have you turned on the television set? And there are days I don't want to turn on the television set because the time you walk out, you're like, is there any hope left? And for you this morning, for some of you, you've walked in, and I'm not going to just be happy, cheery about this. Some of you have walked in with brokenness. And we need to be real about the brokenness. Some of you are in that place. But I'm going to offer you good news. Redemption is coming. This is the beautiful part about the storyline of the Bible. It's the beautiful part about our lives. Guys, we have creation, we have fall or brokenness, and then we have what? Redemption is coming. Let me read it to you. Ezekiel. Flip over to Ezekiel. You're going to have to flip, flip, flip to the right, to the right, to the right. Ezekiel. I'll read this. It'll be up on the screen as well. Ezekiel 37. We'll be singing about this here in a few moments. Catch it, Ezekiel 37. Redemption is coming. Ezekiel is a prophet. He is writing to the tribe of Judah in the midst of them being carried off to Babylon where it seems like all has been lost. It seems like there is no hope for the nation of Judah. Ezekiel writes this in verse Chapter 37, verse 1, the hand of the Lord was on me. He brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord, and he set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. You guys get the imagery here? It is a dry, arid place. It seems like all has been lost. There are only bones out in this wilderness. Welcome to the fall. This is how it feels. And he led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry, brittle. And he asked me, son of man, can these bones live? And Ezekiel says, sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then the Lord says to Ezekiel, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Wake up! God is speaking. God continually speaks to us. Isn't that beautiful? He does not leave us on our own. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. 
Don't you love the end of that? That when God breathes into you and gives you life, the whole purpose is for you to know him. What's my purpose in life? I think we overcomplicate this. You know what your purpose in life is? To know the Lord. But yeah, but what about all these great things that he has in store for me? But what's the purpose if you don't know him? Jesus said this way in John 17. This is eternal life. That they may know the Father and the one whom he has sent. That they may know me. Go to verse 12. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, My people, Judah, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. Y'all catching a theme here? Which I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. Redemption is on the way for Judah. Do you see it? Do you understand it? Do you perceive it? It is coming. It's what we all long for in this room. We long for the fall to end and we long for redemption to come. We all want things to be put back together the way they were meant to be. Every one of us in this room. Ecclesiastes 3.11 It says that we have eternity set in our hearts. I think this is a portion of what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 3.11 that you and I have eternity and we are longing for it because we are longing for redemption to be one again. We're longing for things to be put back together the way they were meant to be. We're longing for no more divorce. We're longing for no more injustice. We're longing for peace to come upon the land. We're longing for these things. We long for redemption. But did you notice this? Will it be through Judah's efforts? Did God say, it'll be through all of your actions, Judah, that you will find redemption? No. Verse 12 again, it says it this way. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, my people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up. I will bring you back to the land. Then you will be my people and know that I'm God. And here's what he's saying. I am the one who brings redemption. It'll be through me. And I'll be honest with you, as I read this, I have a hard time with this verse. Because as I read this verse this week, my flesh is crying out what? I'll fix it. Any guys in the room? Come on. Guys in the room? We fix things. When the wife comes in and says something is broken, we fix it. I do it through YouTube. You're probably smarter than me. You know what you're doing. I try to watch YouTube videos and try to fix it. Because I want to fix things. And so we come to the brokenness of ourselves and we go, I'm going to fix this. 
society says it this way, and I've heard it a thousand times said this way. You have all you need to solve the problem inside of you. Anybody find this to be problematic? Brokenness was created by whom? You and me. And yet somehow we think that this broken person is supposed to somehow fix the brokenness. Am I finding that a little ironic? That you and I, the ones who are broken, are supposed to solve the issue. And God is saying that's the whole problem. You're jacked up. You can't solve the issue. It will take one who is perfect, who lives the perfect life, who will do what? Who will come and redeem. Because he's not like us. And so God is saying redemption is found outside of yourself. And he's going to say it's found inside of me. Let me read back through again, verses 12 through 14. I want you to listen closely again and see if this reminds you of the future. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, my people, I'm going to open your graves and I'm going to bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. And then I'm going to put my spirit in you. You're going to live. And I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken. And I have done it, declares the Lord. Anybody? The gospel is being spoken here, guys. Over and over and over and over again. Ephesians 2.1 came to my mind like that when I read that passage. Ephesians 2, 1 says, As for you, you were dead. You were in the grave. You were buried. You weren't just a little dead, you were fully dead. How? You were dead in your transgressions and your sins. But verse 4, here's the gospel. But, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ when, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with, us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Do you all see it? You were dead like Judah. You were buried. Hope was gone. But God. But God, not but Chris, not but your name, but God, who's what? Who is rich in mercy, made you alive in him. And guess what Ephesians 1 says? It says, now he has put his spirit inside of us as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. The spirit lives inside of every believer. I love this. Because not only is this happening to Judah, but God is foreshadowing one who is to come who will what? Who will die in a grave but come back to life and what? And take his children home one day. Redemption. We're all looking for it. We all need it. And God is saying it's through his son that we'll find redemption. 
But how about the end, the restoration part? So God is going to redeem Judah, but he is also going to restore them. Go to 2 Chronicles, flip back to the left, 2 Chronicles. It's after 1st and 2 Kings. 2 Chronicles, the last chapter in 2 Chronicles, chapter 36. Let's end it here. Here comes the restoration of the nation of Judah. 2 Chronicles 36, verses 22 and 23. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, two weeks from now, I'm going to cover this text again. Just precursor, it's coming. As we take a look at the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, it's coming inside the story. But God is going to use a pagan king, a king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord that is spoken by Jeremiah. The Lord moved the heart of King Cyrus of Persia to make a proclamation through his realm and also put it into writing. And this is what it says. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of earth and has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem and Judah. And any of his people among you may go up. May the Lord their God be with them. Do you all see it? The temple has been destroyed as they headed off to Babylon. But God says what? I'm going to redeem my people. And I'm not only going to redeem them, but I'm going to bring them back, back to Jerusalem. And they're going to rebuild the temple. It's happening. Because God wants to restore all things. We all long for home. You guys, one day we'll be there. We all want things to be restored. We all want to re-enter and worship God the way God is meant to be worshipped. God is saying there is a foreshadow and there is a looking out to one day when we are home seeing Jesus face to face. And guys, in this moment of chaos and fall, redemption is coming, but also we look forward to the home that awaits us. That one day we will see Jesus face to face. Some of you are here in this moment. Let me read 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. We'll close out with this as we long for home. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting. Anybody getting older? Older people in the room, come on. Anybody getting older? I ref basketball yesterday. I had six games yesterday. I got home and my calves were on fire. My knees were aching. I could hear them creaking. I'm only 43, but all that's already beginning to happen. I'm like, yes, Lord, I'm hourly wasting away. And buddy says this, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. How are we being renewed day by day, by the way? Through God's Spirit. God's Spirit inside of you, He is renewing you day by day. That's good news. For our light and momentary troubles. Paul. You are shipwrecked and beaten twice, 39 times, one short of the legal limit where it would be unlawful. And Paul, you say, our light and moment, what? Paul's like, he's got a view of eternity in his head, guys. He says, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Anybody got a glimpse of heaven? Your mind can't perceive what's about to happen. Your, your pea-sized brain cannot imagine the glory that's about to happen. That's what Paul's saying here. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, 
but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is passing away, it's temporary. And what is unseen is eternal. Can you guys see it? Can you guys see it? It's coming. Josh White, Pastor Josh White, I love this. I was listening to one of his sermons recently, and he said this way. One of the things lacking in the church today is the hunger for eternity. We think the best we'll experience is now. Guys, restoration's coming. Some of you are in the middle of the fall, and it hurts, and it's painful. Can I tell you something? Redemption is coming. But I can tell you something even greater. Restoration is coming. And so Paul will say it this way. Keep running the race with perseverance. Keep pushing forward. Keep your eyes on the prize. Keep your eyes on eternity. Keep your eyes on heaven. For you are a citizen of heaven. Your home is not here. You are simply passing through. Get your eyes on glory. It's coming. I know for some of the young people in here, I know it. You're like, man, I'm so young. This is so lame because I'm nowhere near glory. And I say this cautiously because I have friends who are very young. We had a two-year-old who was drowning in a pond here recently. And the reminder is, for me, you never know when it's my time. And so today, I take as God's new mercy this morning when I woke up and got my feet on the floor and I'm breathing. It is new mercy today. As long as God wants me here and has me here, I will continue to run the race with perseverance. Knowing that what? Restoration is coming. How about you? Can you see yourself inside the storyline of the Bible? Where are you on the spectrum? Are you in a place today where you're in creation? God is doing something new and exciting in your life. For some of you new believers, God is doing something new and exciting in your life. Some of you have fallen. Some of you have been running the race with Jesus, but you have fallen. You have collapsed. You are on the side of the road, and you are bleeding, and you are hurting, and you are in pain. For some of you, redemption is right now, it's happening. You're seeing it. God is doing something. There is a redeeming aspect. For some of you, you are longing for restoration. I want you to find yourself inside this storyline. I want you to begin to notice where you are and then beg for God to continue to restore and to recreate along this path. Let's pray. So, Father, we come to you right now. We thank you for your word, we thank you for the storyline. We thank you for your redemption that we all long for. Every one of us in this room is longing for redemption, longing for things to be put back the way they were meant to be. So Jesus, the truth is this, redemption is found outside of ourselves. It's not found in us, it's found outside of ourselves, it's found in Jesus. Jesus, thank you for taking our place. Thank you for bringing redemption to us. And so, Jesus, we need you this morning. I pray for every heart in here who is in the midst of the fall. Father, would you get their eyes up to see you? Would you get your eye, their eyes to Ezekiel 37, that these dry bones will be breathed life into? The skin will be put on, breath will fill their lungs, and that they would continue to run with you.
for those who are in redemption right now, I pray that, Lord, your redeeming power would be upon them, that they would see it's you doing your work inside of them. So outwardly they are wasting away. Inwardly, day by day, you are renewing them. It's a mystery. I can't fully explain it, but I know it's truth. And I pray for each one of us that, Lord, we would run the race with perseverance, knowing that glory is waiting for us. And may that glory push us to the finish line. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for all that you mean to us. Thank you for what you have done. Now speak into each one of us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.